If you just came in and you're visiting, I'm Darren Tyler and pastor here, and uh, glad that you were able to join us. Uh, we've got visiting pastor friends from State College, Pennsylvania, Jonathan and Susie Weibel have joined us. Um, thank you for coming. Uh, I told them their waiter would be here in a minute. Don't let him in that that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> the dinner theater church. So, uh, man, we're just glad, I'm glad to be here because I was thinking about it yesterday, and it was a year ago this week that I had to start sitting down with my clients. Um, if you're visiting, I, I used to own an artist management company here in town. And at that point, nobody really knew that this was happening, that Conduit was going to become a church. We had just told, actually nobody, I think Shannon and I might have been the only ones that known. And, and uh, so it was kind of a scary week for me. Um, and, and as the Lord does, when he puts a word in your heart, he confirms it with, with uh, miracles all around you. And, and it wasn't uh, long after that. It might have been that this very week, as I recall, that I sat down with Jim Henderson and and Jim was talking. If you haven't met Mr. Jim, you might see him. You'll for sure probably at one point hear the kids uh, because he's our, ch our children's guy, and he is uh, awesome. Our kids love him. But I remembered thinking, you know, God, if you're going to have me do this, what? I've got four kids. You know, I don't want to. And we were in this great church, and they were sending us out. If you've been to Journey, you know that they're amazing people. But, you know, they had a great kids program. And I was like, man, I, you, know, you know how it is normally when you, when you start something from scratch, you know, your kids are basically stuck with me and a sock puppet. You know, I mean, that's basically the kids program. And, and I, man, but I thought, okay, Lord, I trust you. And if that's what it takes is me and a sock puppet, well, then, you know, my kids will be fine. But it was right around that time that Jim and I sat down for coffee, and he was talking about, you know, where he was in his life. And Jim had been uh, doing kids ministry at, at, uh, at another great congregation here in town. But he just, it was time for him to move on. And he told me that day, he's like, you know, D, I don't, I don't know where it is that God wants us, but I, I feel like that he's moving us on. And he said, and Donna and I were talking, and we said, if, man, if you started a church tomorrow, like, we'd be there. And, you know, I'm, like, trying not to spit coffee out of my nose, because I'm like, because we hadn't really told anybody, you know? And so I was like, uh, uh, really? Because it's funny you mention that. Um, and it was, for, it was like God had given me a, a sign. You know, when you're coming here this morning, you might have, it might have been hard to find the front door because we don't have good signage out front, right? We'll know that we're working on that as a church. But um, especially when you're visiting, you end up maybe doing a couple laps around here before you get to the front door. Uh, but, but the Lord isn't like that. He gives good signs along the way that points, hey, you're going the right direction. It's a little arrow here. It's a little, you know, X amount of miles to go here. And, and Jim was one of those signs along the way. And, but it was this week that I got to sit down with um, uh, our, our rock bands and going, hey, guys, um, actually, I see Jeff's here. Uh, in one of those meetings saying, um, this might sound crazy, uh, but here's what God is doing. And, and you know what, it was, because, you know, when you do something like this, this, you know, there's a lot of ripples in this, and these guys, uh, there's, there could be some potentially positive, negative, whatever, but, you know, I'm basically changing their lives as well as our lives. And, and the Lord was so gracious in those meetings, and it's, uh, oddly enough, they were less surprised than I was by the whole thing. And, and, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, and I get to switch from being uh, their uh, pa manager to being their pastor now. And, and I kind of like this gig better, if I'm being honest, Jeff. Um, not, not that, it's just that if your bus tire goes flat, I don't have to, you know what I mean? It's not mine anymore. <laughs> so, <it's> like, <laughs> uh, but God has been kind to us in that way. And then all along the way, he just gave us little miracles that I look back on over this year. That this, you know, the word that he gave us that that it would be here. There are little miracles, and, you know, one of which was 
you know, we didn't know where we were going to meet. We had this uh, facility that was way south of here, and um, it had a great little theater in there. But, I mean, when I say it was really south, like, you could almost, like, you could wave to your friends in Alabama from where the school was, right? And, but it seemed right, but it just wasn't working out. We didn't get a piece about it. And, and we really wanted Independence High School. Like, it really felt good to be here because of the central location. But every pastor in town knows that Independence High School doesn't let churches in the school. Um, in fact, other pastors, the, the little uh, church plant guys were all basically daring me. Yeah, go ask him. See if he'll let you in. You know, and, and so we did, and they said no. Um, but they said no the day after that we were having dinner with uh, Jay and Pam Seculo. And, uh, and uh, of course, just by coincidence, you know, they happen to be the ones that, you know, won a Supreme Court case that happened to allow churches into school. So to have, to have said no the day after was not really good timing for the school. And, of course, I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to get on TV. I don't want to, you know, be, on, be in the news. And, and Jay was like, no, no, we'll just send him a letter. And, you know, you guys might as well. I remember saying, you guys might as well get ready. You can move right in. And he was right. They rolled out the red carpet for us. And, and here we are. But another miracle along the way, and I don't say that to say that, and we've got a, the, the school board has been gracious to us and kind. It was just a mix-up of communication inside of their school, so, you know, it wasn't. But here we are. God has provided another miracle. And I, I guess I bring this up because, you know, when Jesus, when he was going across the water, he just fed 5,000 people. And the disciples were in there, and they had forgotten bread, and Jesus was kind of a little ticked off with them. And they're like, ah, oh, it's because we forgot the bread, and we're hungry. And not thinking, okay, Jesus could make it rain turtles if he chose to. Okay, he had just made sandwiches for 5,000 people. And so it wasn't that he was mad that they had wasted food. He was like, have you still not figured it out? And, and the bread basket wasn't for food. It was just a reminder that God is in control. And it's good and healthy for us along the way to look back at our bread baskets, so to speak, of the way that God has provided for us. And I could go on and on and on. I mean, those are obviously some high points, but there are just lots of miracles between a year ago and today, not the least of which is that we're all sitting here today that this is a miracle of God, that we were a, a Bible study of college kids and Starbucks baristas and bass players. And I mean, it's just, that's who we were with this idea that we could create something that could uh, do something for our friends in Haiti, that could do something for our brothers and sisters in Africa. Maz is here somewhere this morning from Togo, Africa. But I had this picture in my brain of it being like we could start like a relief organization like Compassion or World Vision and we could be really laser focused. And what I didn't understand was that the Lord wanted to do that, but he wanted to do it from inside of a church. Because that was what the early church had done. Whenever they brought their money to the apostles and laid it at their feet, the apostles turned around and then distributed it to those that were in need. And so he, it was a, a, I look at it now and think, oh, it just makes so much sense that this is what he would want to do. That to, to create a church that could do this. And then, you know, it's funny because a lot of times, guys, um, in, in my age bracket, the pastors, we sort of cop this Elijah complex. The, there's nobody holy but me, so I'm taking my toys and going home. All oh, the church, this, and we rail against it. But the fact is, is just like Elijah found out, I found out that there are thousands of people out there just like us all around the United States, all around the world. You know, it's easy to, to uh, sort of paint this broad brush against the church, and, and we're not about that here. I mean, there's a lot of great churches. God is doing a lot of great things in a lot of great places. We just happen to be one outpost for the kingdom uh, in Thompson Station, in a, in a little high school, in a not very fancy lunchroom with our excellent neon lighting. Um, we're thinking, by the way, for Easter, like an Easter play, we can make those blink um, when Jesus raises from the dead. Anyway, just think about it. Uh, but, but we're here, and it's because God has brought us here. And uh, 
and it's just, I guess, if nothing else, a good moment for us to think back at how good God is, how merciful he is, and how uh, he has created a church that can not only be a conduit of the, of the love and the spirit of the Lord to the community in front of us, but to the world around us. And I'm just so thankful for that miracle, so thankful that God has brought you to be a part of that miracle, and excited to see a year from now, when we sit down and say, yeah, I remember Darren a year ago, this is what you're talking about, and see what he's doing there. So thanks for being along for the journey. If you would go with me to the book of Acts chapter 13, we have been on a little bit of a scenic journey through the book of Acts, and it made sense for me to start there, because if you're starting something new, you know, this is what Acts was all about. These guys, something new was going on in the world. And in Acts 13, we talked about last week that Paul and Barnabas were being sent off. And we, we talked about that you could be a goer or a sender, right? You get to be one or the other, or you could be both, right? You could be one or either, but you don't get to be neither, there, that's, we have a place in the body of Christ for all of us. We're goers or we're senders. And sometimes it's both of us. You know, a lot of us in here are goers and senders. And some of you are just senders. And some of you are just goers. But we're all, we've got to be a part of that in the food chain of, of what God has set up in his kingdom. But as Paul was going, something jumped out at me that I had not noticed before. In verse 16. So Paul is He's in a place, well, let's go there. He says, uh, he's standing up. He's, he's, he's giving basically the first recorded sermon in Paul's, this is his first sermon, right? This is his, he may have preached before, but this is the first one that's actually recorded. And he says in verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel, you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel closed, chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan, gave their land to his people as his inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Now, he's going on and preaching a sermon that if you've been reading the book of Acts, might sound familiar to you. It might sound familiar because in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen stood up, this was pretty much the sermon that he preached. And if you remember in Acts chapter 7, it didn't really go very well. I mean, I've preached some bad sermons. You're like, yeah, that's true. Remember that one? Yeah, and I do. I remember it. But, but Stephen's went not very well. The response that day was not very good for him. He got killed. And I'm sure as he looked out across the crowd that day, and he saw a guy holding a, some coats in their hands, thinking, I don't think I got through to that guy at all. It was Paul holding the coats for these men as they killed him, thinking, I probably didn't connect the dots. And, and that was so interesting to me, because now it's 13 years later, and he stands up, and this is the sermon that he preaches almost verbatim what Stephen preached 13 years ago. Because the word of God, when it is spoken, does not return void. And I say that as an encouragement, hopefully, to you, certainly to me, that when we're talking to people individually one-on-one, -on -one, and when we're communicating 
the gospel to them one-on-one. That the word will set out and accomplish exactly what it was supposed to do. That's Isaiah 55, by the way, where he, or the prophet says that. But then, in fact, if you'd go there with me, Isaiah 55. Because a verse earlier, when he says that the word won't return void, it's Isaiah 55, actually verse 10. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. He was talking about it in terms of, and maybe you've heard different people talk about seed time and harvest in, in reference to money, and, and, and we don't have time to get into that today, but, but this is about the word. When the word of God is spoken, that it plants a seed. And maybe that can give you some freedom this morning in knowing that sometimes we think as we're supposed to witness to our neighbors to preach the gospel that we're, it's almost like we're a sales guy trying to close a deal. That if I am convincing enough and compelling enough in this argument, because notice what Paul didn't do in Acts chapter 13. He didn't say every head bowed, every eye closed. As Peter is playing on the harp, He didn't sell it like it was an infomercial, right? He just presented the word of God. And he did it in a way that I think we could all take a lesson from because, again, we try to infomercial this whole thing, but God doesn't bless my words. My words will return void and often do. But when I am confessing, when I am speaking God's word, then it is seed time. It's, and and maybe, it's, maybe I'm just that guy that I have to have a word picture and a metaphor to see it. But when I'm thinking of it in terms of I'm trying to sell you something, as opposed to I'm just trying to plant seeds in you, because Jesus would later say that in Matthew 13, when he talked about the parable of the sower. And he said that the sower would go out and he would sow seeds And he would then later clarify and say that those seeds were the word of God. And as that word would go out, that sometimes it worked great. It would go into somebody's heart and it would grow. And sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes they would walk away just like what happened with Paul. At the end of chapter 13, it actually says that, hey, there were those that loved it. And they they believed and they accepted and they received And there were those that said, I want to kill him. Those were basically the two options on that day for Paul. And neither one of those were Paul's responsibility. Paul's responsibility was to just speak the word, to just communicate the word. And if there's a reason why we at Conduit focus on the word, is because it's so much more powerful than anything you or I could cook up. This is a supernatural communication from our Father to us. Anything else is just commentary. But when we are communicating the word directly, I mean, Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, after he had risen from the grave, he encountered two disciples, and they walked with him on that day. And what he did was, he didn't say, everybody bow your head and close your eyes, and, you know, get Gabriel on the harp this time. He just said, it says he pointed them 
to the scriptures. And by the way, the scriptures were the Old Testament. Pointed to them all along the way, the pictures, the stories, and how they all painted a picture of Jesus himself. And after they heard that, it says that his words burned in their hearts. And they accepted the Lord on that day. It changed them because they had, he had preached the word, and when the word went into them, it grew inside of them. In, in Acts 2.42, if we've said this before as a church, it's, it bears repeating. If you're looking for four imperatives on our website, we really don't have any of those. But what we do have is Acts 2.42 that says that the church devoted themselves to prayer, to teaching, to communion, to fellowship. Those were the four pillars of the early church. And then in verse 48, it says, And the Lord added to their numbers those that were being saved. And as conduit church, that's what we want to devote ourselves to, to prayer. We prayed this morning for our brothers and sisters in Haiti. To, to communion, to the breaking of bread. We have communion available on every time we gather as a chance for you to go to the Lord's table, to agree with the Lord, to confess your sins, to, to uh, remember what he did for you, communion and prayer and fellowship. And of course, that means our small groups, our villages, when we gather together and we have fellowship with each other, which is that sort of Christianese word that just means we're hanging out on a soul level. But it doesn't just mean that. The word fellowship, Paul would go on in Romans 15, and in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the word fellowship in Acts 2.42 is a word called koinonia. Now, if you're around in the 70s, that also made great Christian art records and Christian band names, but, but now it's just a word that we don't hear that often. Koinonia was a word that meant fellowship, but it didn't just mean just hanging out in Romans 15, it says, we took our gift, our contribution, and we sent it to the poor in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it talks about the contributions that they had taken up for the poor, that those that were in need and were being oppressed and marginalized. That contribution, that word contribution was koinonia, their fellowship. We sent our fellowship to Haiti this week as we are fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters that are in need. So not only are we hanging out. I mean, one of the villages went to Raiders of the Lost Ark this week. I'm thinking about switching villages. I don't know. Uh, I was kidding. We'll just go. Um, but but there, there's that component of it, of our relationships. Our, ours is great, actually. We, we have lots of kids, and it's very loud. Um, but it's more than just hanging out and going to movies. It's, it's deeper than that. It's more profound than that. It is giving and sacrificing of ourselves to those in need around us. It's our fellowship. But they also devoted themselves to teaching, to the word. Because think of this. Jesus said that part of the, the Holy Spirit's job would be to bring all things to our remembrance. But the word re, it denotes that it had happened already. Like if you're in a band, you know that the word rehearse means that, well, that means we've already rehearsed it once, right? The re denotes doing it again. And to remind you of the word in your hearts means that it has to have gone into your head at some point. And so our responsibility is to dive deep into the scriptures. And then in the moment when we need it, because keeping in mind when Paul stood up and rattled this stuff off, when Stephen stood up and rattled this stuff off, he didn't have a Bible, he didn't have an iPad. It was from his heart and it was the Holy Spirit bringing it to his remembrance, but it had to be in his memory to be brought back again. We want to do that here. We want to teach the word and encourage you to do the same. And if you would go to the book of, of Jeremiah with me, I'll give you a little bit of time because I know that one's not as easy. And if you're not well-behaved, we're going to go to Habakkuk right after that. 
But the job of us is to deep, deep into the scriptures. I was talking to GT this morning. He was talking about, uh, to Bucky about uh, talking to some friends that were Mormons. And, and, and he said, go, get, go to the bookstore, and I love this, and get a King James Bible and tell them to go through and study the scriptures. And, and he, he will go through it, Romans, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's the way to bring somebody out of that religion. It's the word. It isn't anything I could fancy. I can't create a PowerPoint that's cool enough. The word is that. Hebrews tells us that it's quick, that it's powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the word. And that is what Paul stood up and said. He quoted the scriptures. He talked about from Abraham all the way to David, all the way to Jesus, and pointed to it. That was preached at least a dozen times in the New Testament. And every time it was preached, it had great and amazing results. And I don't know how many churches that you've been to, how many crusades you've been to, but we don't ever hear that sermon anymore. The go through the Bible and point them to the cross, chapter to chapter, verse to verse, front to back, because it's in there. The pictures of Jesus are there. The word is there. And that is what we're called to do as conduit, is to be what Paul was, which is to know the word, camp in the word, and then when it's time to communicate the word, to have the Holy Spirit to remind us of that word that's inside of us. And moms and dads, if you've got kids maybe that you don't feel like you're getting through to them, it's, it's the word. When you're praying for them, don't pray what you see around you. Oh, they're this, they're a mess. Pray the word. Pray Ephesians. Pray, pray the word over them. Because you are doing what Hebrews tells us when it talks about the confession of our faith. The, that word there is homo legas. I hope you don't mind. I'm actually taking a detour this morning. Homo legas, which is a word, it's a Greek word that basically means it's the same, okay? Legas, I am basically saying what God said. That's all it is. Because my words, as eloquent and funny as I think I am, wish I was, I'm not the word. And so when I am saying that, and I am agreeing with what God says, homo legaus, and, and I grew up in a world where, you know, if you sneeze, and, oh, I think I'm coming down with a cold, there'd be the, oh, that's a bad confession, don't say that. I'm not suggesting that, okay? I'm not saying like it's some magic potion out of Harry Potter, okay? This is not that. It is you speaking and agreeing with what God has said. And parents, if you feel like it's not working out very good for you, know that you're not trying to sell this thing to your kids. You're a farmer gardening into your kids' hearts. To your friends around you, you're not trying to sell them on something, trying to close a deal trying to get them there like you're the fireman rescuing them from the flames of hell. You're a farmer. You're planting seeds. And as Jesus said, it wasn't the farmer that went, the, the sower sowed the seeds. Once they were there, it was up to the Holy Spirit to grow those. And understand this, that it would, that just like Isaiah said, that it would accomplish what it was set out to do. I don't, it, there's so much freedom in that. So much, I don't have to go out and close the deal with somebody. All I got to do is present it. I got to communicate it. And even if you're not very good at it, it's still the word of God. And it still has nothing to do with your eloquence and your cleverness and your articulation. It's the word. And the word at the end of the day is, is sharp. It's powerful. Plant and seeds. We're just sowing the word into people's hearts. And I say that to say that 
in your world, there are pre- people around you that, that you're probably working on, that you've been talking to. Man, relax. Lighten up. It's not like you're trying to sell the extended warranty at Best Buy, okay? This is not that. You're just planting seeds in their hearts. But I also want to caution you and encourage you that for those of you that come and hear the word, for those of you that partake of podcasts, have you found Jeremiah yet? That partake of teaching and, and, and are reading the Bible yourself, that there's a lesson for you, not only as someone that sows the word, but as someone who receives the word into your own heart. In Jeremiah 26, verse 1, it says, Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. In verse 2, this is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard, talking to Jeremiah, of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you and do not omit a word. In the King James Version, it says, don't diminish a word. Everything I say, Jeremiah, you say. And so he did. And down in verse 7, it says that when they heard what he said, which was, look, you guys are in sin, turn from your evil ways. And this was their response. The priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him, to say the priests, the prophets, and the people seized him and said, you must die. Now, in fairness, that's never happened here, okay? Maybe you guys have walked out saying, well, that was dumb. I didn't understand a word he just said or whatever. But no one's ever threatened to kill me over it, okay? We just go down the street to another church. We don't kill our preachers here. But here, they're going to kill him. And that was the response to Jeremiah's word of the Lord. And I say that I want you to hear me say, in our world right now, in our country, we have this idea that if I say something that has a negative response, if I declare that a specific lifestyle is a sin and that offends people, then I don't want to say that because I don't want to make people mad at me. The litmus test for what I say isn't how people respond. The litmus test is whether it's true. And once I communicate it from the word, again, not from my opinions, but the word. Once I communicate the word, however they respond, I'm the farmer. I have sowed the seeds. Sometimes they grow, sometimes they don't. And in Jeremiah's case, he's, uh, it's not going very well for him. This is way worse than getting talked about on MSNBC, okay? This is way worse than that. They want to kill him. And it says now that Jeremiah's response to this, after they, they want to kill him, drag him out and stone him, he says that in verse 14, ask for me, I am in your hands. I'm not backing off of this. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. Be assured, however, that if you put me to death, you will bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves and on the city and on those who live in it. For in truth, the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words that you are hearing. He's saying, I, I get it. You don't like it, but this is the word of the Lord, and I'm not backing down. This is what God is saying if you don't like it, you can kill me, but you've got to take it up with him. But look at this in verse 16. And then the officials and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets, this man should not be sentenced to death. He has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. So they didn't kill him. Fascinating, huh? Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, go down with me to verse 20. At the same time, okay, it says in verse 20 that Uriah, son of Shimeah, Good old Uncle Shimea, right? From Kiriath-Jeram was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. 
he prophesied the same things against this city and this land as Jeremiah did. In the King James, it says, according to the words of Jeremiah. He heard what Jeremiah said. It made sense to him, and so he repeated that. He repeated what he heard Jeremiah said. He prophesied according to the words of Jeremiah. And look at his response. And when King Jehoiakim and all of his officials heard the words, the king sought to put him to death. And But Uriah heard of it and fled in fear to Egypt. Whenever you see the, 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 the country of Egypt, whether it's in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, it's always a picture, always a type of the world. He is going back to the world. He's like, woo, that was not what I expected. I'm out of here. And he goes to Egypt. He goes back to the world. And look what happened to him. King Jehoiakim, however, sent Elnathan, son of Akbar, to Egypt along with some other men. And they brought Uriah out of Egypt and took him to King Jehoiakim, who had him struck down with a sword and his body thrown into the burial place of the common people. You had two guys both saying the same things. One of them faced it head on, and one of them ran. Man, if you want to get your butt handed to you, run from the battle. The safest place in spiritual battle is on the front lines. When you look in Ephesians chapter 6, and it tells us about the full armor of God, man, it protects your head, your chest, you got the shield, you got the sword, your loins are girt. It's awesome. It protects everything except your back. Because we're not running from the battle. You want to get struck down, chopped away, run away from it. And, and I've, been around, I've been around church a long time, as you can tell by my, the way I dress. Um, I've been around the church long enough to have seen folks that, man, they were passionate about the Lord, and then they just sort of took a vacation. I was that guy. I was passionate about the Lord. In high school, I went to Guatemala and spent two summers and Man, I was the front row, I was active in the church, and I went to Bible college and lost my mind. Walked away from the Lord. I took a little vacation, ran from it. And you want to talk about a place to get chopped down, beaten up, discarded, cut away. I was running from the battle because I was just tired. And instead of doing what the Lord would say, which is to wait on him, and then he would renew my strength. Again, a promise from the word, not a promise from me. I walked away from it. And the difference between Uriah and Jeremiah, the difference between Darren 20 years ago and Darren today, and I think if you get this, if you let this seed germinate in your hearts, okay, open up a little gerarium in there and plant these seeds and see what God does in you. If you get this, the difference between Jeremiah and Uriah, I think that you'll walk out of here in a whole different state of mind, in a whole different place and position and approach to the gospel. Go back to verse 20. Look at what Jer uh, Uriah said. It says, Uriah prophesied, in verse 20, the same things against this land as Jeremiah did. He prophesied, he worked according to the words of Jeremiah, not as Jeremiah did, which was according to the word of the Lord. If you walk out of here today and you are acting in your Christian walk according to the words of Darren, according to the words of whatever Bible teacher that you're following or love, and you're walking according to the words of them, 
when the pressure comes, you're going to take a walk. That's why it's great for us as parents to put the word in our kids because when we grow up as young men and women, all of a sudden we're going according to the words of our parents and we take a walk on the faith. Now again, the word of the Lord does not return void. Plant the word in their hearts. And if they're, especially if you've got grown kids or kids that are almost there and you think I'm losing them, man, trust the Lord. Pray the, the scriptures over them and trust that those seeds will grow in their hearts. But for you and for me, if we're hearing the word of Darren this morning, and that's what I'm walking out is with the word of Darren, when the pressure comes, you're going to take a hike and you're going to take a walk. You have to let that word become the word of the Lord for you in your heart. And it it's great that we have teaching. It's great that we have podcasts. It's a gift that God has given the body, the teachers. But if that's your only lifeline to the word is just listening to that and not you yourself diving into the scriptures, I'm, I'm saying maybe you're not letting the word plant in your heart. Like Paul did. 13 years later, after the word was planted in his heart, it grew and it bloomed. And the word of the Lord did not return void. The word of Darren, the word of Tony, it'll return void, but not the word of God. And so that's the reason we dive into the scriptures here. That's the reason Paul dove into the scriptures. It's the reason why I encourage you when you go home to dive into the scriptures on your own. But Darren, this book is hard. It's boring. I get it. I've read Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon is pretty awesome, but you know... But, but this was not meant to be an academic exercise. Uriah understood it academically. It made sense. So he just said it. But it wasn't in his heart. And when you approach a supernatural book with a supernatural approach, which is, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today here? Not, okay, it's March. It means Leviticus. Oh. I'm on the one-year plan. I, I got to drudge through this. Man, take your time. If you're in the book of Genesis and you see something that jumps out that's in Matthew and you want to go back and forth, do it. It wasn't meant to be read back to back like a Bill Bryson book. This is meant to be dove into headlong and experienced spiritually. And if you're doubting me, I mean, obviously, you know, try it. How's your way working out, right? Try it. Ex experience it that way. And when the word goes into your heart, when you need it, it, will, it grows. And I don't know, I mean, I think <laughs> my neighbors are all thanking Jesus right now, but I actually planted grass this year. Okay? I hadn't done that before because I just thought, well, you know, if I, if I plant it, then I got to mow it. So if I don't plant it, it's, anyway. Um, but, but it didn't really respond right now, right? It's not really responding. I'm out there with the little aerator, like kicking it like I'm, you know, like I'm in the burbs, you know, and, and nothing's really happening right now. But in the spring, when it is time, it will grow. My neighbors hope so. And I say to you that when you, when the word has been planted in your hearts, maybe it's not an immediate response, Sometimes it is. Sometimes that's when it's the time. That's the purpose of the word of the Lord is, is immediate. And sometimes it, it's, it's a long time. Sometimes it's Paul. It's 13 years later. Bam, he's up there preaching. Sometimes it's me. When I was a little guy, 
there was a word of the Lord spoken over me that I would teach the word, that I'd be a Bible teacher in fifth grade for crying out loud. And that word of the Lord went away. I thought, I'd forgotten about it. But it was in there and it was growing. And at, at the time, as Jesus said, at the appointed time, it would grow forth. Remember the parable of the sower. If you need to think in word pictures like I think, you are not a car salesman. You're not trying to close the deal on the extended warranty at Best Buy. You're a farmer. You are planting seeds in your own heart and in the hearts of those around you. God said he would provide seed for the sower in 2 Corinthians 9. The seed that you need to plant in other people's lives is seed that, you, not that you're making up, but seed from the word that he gives to you this morning. And so as our worship team comes, My prayer for you, my prayer for conduit, my prayer for, if you're just visiting this morning, that, that the word that the Lord spoke this morning in Jeremiah, not the word that Darren spoke, that the word that the Lord spoke plants inside of you. And like Paul, that you'll speak the word not based upon what reaction you're going to get, whether it's positive or negative, not whether they think that you're great or whether you're crazy, but speak the word let the seeds fall where they fall and let the Lord bring the harvest that he brings. If we keep on this path that we're on in our Christian culture now, inside of 10 years, we're not going to be able to recognize Christianity based upon the truth that's in the word. Not my opinions, but based on what's in the word because suddenly there are certain things that we just can't say anymore because it's offensive to people. And I say that if that day comes, and maybe it'll never come in our country, but if that day comes, might we stand up and speak it anyway and say like Jeremiah said, you do with me what you want, but it is still true. Not like Uriah where we walk away from it and say, I don't know, I'm headed to Egypt, I'm headed back, this was too hard. And we can only do that if it's the word of the Lord in our hearts, not the word of Darren, not the word of the televangelist, not the word of whomever, but the word of the Lord. Father, we know that your word is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path and I just I ask for illumination today God I know that there are those in, our, in this room that have kids that are grown that have had seeds planted in them God that we might be patient while that harvest comes not freak out and do what parents we do but to just be patient and to love and to let the seeds grow to accomplish what you've set out to do for those of us that have family members, that have coworkers, that we've been preaching to the word that we can take the pressure off ourselves, God, don't freak out and just know that you will close the deal. You will grow the seeds in their heart in the time. And most of all right now in my heart, God, and in the hearts of us here, that the word that you've planted inside of us individually, that it will grow. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to make it up, but just let the word grow inside of us giving us direction and illumination to the path that you've called us to. As we worship you, God, we know that it is your word that is a lamp to our feet, not mine. And might that light shine in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.